It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Fenway Rundown podcast, Mass Lives Red Sox show. I'm your host, Chris Cotillo. Last week, we were joined by Heim Bloom, the chief baseball officer of the Red Sox. This week, we're joined by somebody with theoretically a less important title, but also someone who's been along the Red, around the Red Sox a lot longer than Heim Bloom. It's Sean McAdam from the Boston Sports Journal. Sean, how are you? I'm fine, Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, we got a lot to get to. I, I kind of want to start with, you know, the big story of the last couple weeks for the Red Sox, and that is the two men on the left side of the infield and Xander Bogarts and Raphael Devers. I think, you know, I was shocked, as I'm sure you were, to see a report surface last week that the offer to Xander Bogarts was four years and $90 million, just basically you know, the three remaining years at 20 million on his contract and then tacking on that 30 million. He seems like he's not too happy. I think the public perception is that he was lowballed. There's no reason to not trust that John Heyman report. Just let's start with what were your thoughts on that and, and those numbers? Yeah, I, I, I think that my initial reaction was why go through the trouble of making that offer, which seemed like such a lowball offer, as you noted, to extend him by only one more year it just seemed a token PR conscious, let's throw this out there so that we can tell the fan base that we at least made an attempt. And I think it actually had the opposite effect because the details are now out. Uh, Bogarts is unhappy and probably borderline insulted, which is understandable. And I, I think that the uh, transparent nature of that offer really backfires for the Red Sox in a public way, because most people can look at that and say that it in no way reflects Bogart's value on the market or where he stands among the game shortstops when the elite guys are making north of 30 million to essentially toss one token year at that past what he is already guaranteed. Uh, I think you and I have both said this. He has already signed one far below market value deal. Why would he do another? And it just seemed like uh, kind of a CYA move on the part of the Red Sox so that they could save for public consumption that they made him an offer, which he turned down. Right. Well, and this is something that you and I have talked about, you know, a few times now, and you've known Xander longer than I have, but it just feels like his demeanor has changed in the last few months. You know, I mean, it seemed like during spring training, all of a sudden, the guy who was team first, willing to do whatever, was not willing to move off shortstop. You know, obviously, his value was was on his mind then when we asked him about Carlos Correa signing. You know, because Correa has that opt-out, is going to hit free agency at the same time. He said, well, it doesn't really help me that much. And then uh, just kind of the last couple of weeks, he seemed not, not as jovial as he usually is, but definitely just 
kind of unhappy with the organization. I think rightly so. Well, if you're Xander Bogarts and you have done everything for this organization since you were 16 years old, you signed a below market deal, you have been a consistent performer, a reliable face of the franchise who is always there to take questions from reporters pre and post game and generally been a solid, good citizen representing the franchise in a positive way, I think you can understand why he might be hurt and a little cynical about this whole process. Having already taken that discount to stay, he made it clear that he wanted to be with the Red Sox the rest of his career, but things change in the marketplace, and it's no surprise that he would want that adjustment or to be rewarded as other shortstops are on the free agent market. Uh, I would add, too, that while he wasn't keen about moving off short to play second base, he did everything he could and beyond to try to convince Trevor Story to come here, knowing that ultimately that would give the Red Sox additional leverage in any future negotiations. So uh, I'm, I'm sure he's feeling a little unappreciated, maybe even a little burned by the whole ordeal. I think over time, Uh, As we get deeper into the season, that will recede a little bit. He'll do everything he can to uh, help the team this year. And in his mind, he's probably thinking, I'm going to be playing elsewhere in 2023 and beyond. And that's what I was going to ask you next. I know some people have have written it, you know, pretty um, emphatically. John Tomasi, uh, I think, said, you know, Bogarts is as good as gone. Is that how you're looking at it right now? I don't know if I'd be willing to go quite that far, but certainly, um, you know, kind of gun to my head at this point, where is Xander Bogarts playing next season? Uh, To me, the easy response is someplace other than Fenway Park. I'm not slamming the door on his return. I can't say it with any 100% certainty, but the odds and all the uh, telltale evidence would suggest he's going elsewhere. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, it's kind of a surprise considering he seemed like one of these guys that was going to play his entire career in a Red Sox uniform, but you know, those are rare and few and far between at this point. Uh, moving on to, to the other guy who plays next to Xander, a good friend of his, Rafael Devers. Um, to me, the alarm bells are not sounding as loudly with him, obviously, because they have that additional year of control. And, you know, they were more than $100 million off, but that was really the beginning of the talks and, and deadlines force action. They're not there yet. I still think they're going to extend the sign Devers, and I still think they're going to make him a reasonable offer and, and finally hand out that huge $300 million deal. I think he's the guy they're going to choose. Um, but is it any concern to you that they haven't been able to get there yet? Well, you immediately start thinking that this whole scenario is beginning to eerily replicate what happened with Mookie Betts just a few years ago. And if they get to next February and the start of spring training and Devers has not been extended by then, then I think it's time to really worry because all of a sudden the player is that much closer to the finish line. He can sense that free agency is only seven months or so off in the distance, and he might just want to see what the open market might be able to provide for him. I I think that there are fewer outs for the Red Sox when it comes to Devers. If you want to make the argument that at 30 years old, Bogarts, who doesn't have great range for a shortstop even now, will not age well at that position and thus is somewhat of a risky investment, at least defensively, 
you could make that argument. It is hard to find the downside to extending Devers. For one thing, he's about four years younger. He doesn't turn 26 until October. He is not even yet in the prime of his career, and yet his numbers over the last few seasons indicate that he could well be one of the half dozen best sluggers in the game. We've seen this year, and it's early and probably too early to make any generalizations. It would seem his defense has improved, which was the one question mark. But Devers is somebody who I think his offense uh, is is uh, so significant and what he contributes at the bat that you can live with whatever issues he may have with his glove, whether that's eventually moving him across the first or in time even a DH. Uh, he could be that center of a lineup for the next eight or 10 years. If the Red Sox don't find a way to extend Raphael Devers, then I think it's a real warning sign about where this franchise is headed. That would make three straight homegrown foundational players that they have been unable to come to an agreement with dating back to bats and presumably Bogarts. And I think there would be uh, a very angry Red Sox fan base if it were to get to that. Because of that, I agree with you. I think they're going to be pressured into getting something done with Devers, maybe even going beyond their comfort zone because of what he means and what he uh, signifies and the fact that they have kind of two strikes against them with the other failed negotiations with Betts and Bogarts. So I would expect, too, that Devers eventually gets done if it doesn't, as I said, I think it, tr it, it's, it, it signals a real troubling trend for the franchise and what fans can expect going forward. Well, do you think Heim cares about that? I mean, I think that that's kind of the perception, and, and he says time and time again, we really want to keep these guys in a Red Sox uniform long term. But do you think that at the end of the day, he's just willing to remove emotion from the equation more? I know they claim they don't, but um, does he, is he going to be the guy that ever caves to that pressure? I don't think Heim Bloom is the guy to cave to that pressure, but I think ownership would. And we right. know that ownership is very cognizant of how they're perceived. And the last thing they want as part of their legacy, which has been a generally positive one. This is an ownership that has overseen four championships uh, in the last 20 years, a revitalization of the ballpark. There's a lot more good on that ledger than there is bad. But if all of a sudden, this team starts to look like the Haywood Sullivan Red Sox of the 1980s, where players leave town unhappy that their asking price is not being met, then that becomes a dominant part of that ownership legacy. And I don't think they want that. Right. And as much as, you know, they, they try to seem like they don't care by not talking to us ever, they obviously do. Let's get to some of the other guys on the roster who are up after this year. Kike Hernandez is one of them. Nate Evaldi. Christian Vasquez, J.D. Martinez, where do you see, if you see them going after, you know, one of those guys, two of those guys to, to come back and re-sign, who would it be? Well, I think we can pretty easily cross both Martinez and Vasquez off their list of intentions. I completely agree, yeah. Martinez is uh, 34, 35 years old as a DH with somewhat declining production over the last couple of years still a good run producer still had 99 rbis last year tied for the league lead in doubles still a very effective middle of the order hitter 
but probably doesn't fit the MO of what these Red Sox are looking to do as a guy getting into his mid-30s and pretty one-dimensional as a DH. Vasquez, we know, they're unhappy with. There was a lot of internal debate whether to pick up a relatively affordable option. And then uh, the, the interest in Jacob Stallings last year before he was sent by Pittsburgh to Miami. So we know they were trying to upgrade um, the catching position when they already had a year of control left of Vasquez. Uh, that does not speak well to his potential future in a Red Sox uniform. Um, if you look at a, a couple of others, um, I think that they need to see a little bit more from Kike Hernandez this year and find out whether 2021 was something of an outlier offensively or whether he can be that dynamic offensive player as he gets into his early 30s. We know that he's versatile. We know that he can be an elite outfielder, but can he um, post numbers offensively that are going to warrant that kind of contract that he'd be looking for? Of all that, would be, two, that would be a big one, a lot bigger than the two-year $14 million daily sign. Certainly. Um, you know, maybe even uh, twice that value. He, he could conceivably go out on the market and get $14 million a year going forward. But again, I think he's got to demonstrate that um, as somewhat of a late bloomer, as a guy who didn't play really full-time when he was with the Dodgers, now a guy getting you know, 600 at-bats a year. Is he someone that can hit 20-plus homers, uh, you know, get on base at a better-than-330 clip, steal bases, and be the kind of guy he was from, say, July on a year ago? So I think there's some wait and see there. Mm -hmm. Um, Of a little difficult, on one hand, you would look at him and say that he is a risk from an injury standpoint. He's already had two Tommy John surgeries. He's had a number of years in which he has not been able to uh, pitch north of 150 innings, but he has been quite healthy the last couple of years. And you look at that rotation and how many foundational pieces do they have going forward? Uh, Paxton has an option for next year. You don't know about what you're getting yet in Pavetta. Uh, Chris Sale has to be something of a question mark now. Um, uh, You know, somebody like Rich Hill is 42 years old and certainly can't be part of any long-term plan in that rotation. Now, some of this may be dictated by what happens in the farm system this year. Does Brian Mata make a successful return from Tommy John and suggest that he might be able to contribute? Does Jay Groom take a big step forward? Um, You know, does Thaddeus Ward... um, show that he's ready to make some contributions. What about Seabold? What about Crawford as a starter? What do they do with Hauk and Whitlock moving forward? Uh, I suspect that that's all going to be part of the decision-making process. We know that Evaldi is a very valued guy as a leader, as a guy who is the uh, who, who is a good teammate, who works hard, who keeps himself probably in as good a shape as anyone in that clubhouse. But it gets down to reliability and projecting how much of a risk a guy who's going to be in his early 30s with a uh, somewhat troubling injury history, how much do you want to commit there and how badly do you need, say, a number two starter like that? If he pitches well again, he could be in line for another four-year deal even. I mean, he's... Yeah, he's that, that's that, certainly not 
not out of the question when you look at some of the pitchers that were out on the free agent market the last couple of years. Look, we know that investing in free agent starting pitching is by definition a risky proposition. Most of those guys are already at 30, if not older. Many of them have had major surgeries, either Tommy John with the elbow or shoulder issues. Um, you know, uh, Evaldi's a guy who has a spotty track record. But the fact that he was able to lead the team in starts, lead the team in innings last year, if he can duplicate that and be one of those rare guys who's actually healthier in his 30s than he was in his 20s, then he may become the exception to the rule. Right. And, you know, there's less wear and tear on the arm because he hasn't been able to post as many innings over the course of his career. That's true. We'll get to this season now, and, and we're you know recording this Tuesday afternoon, so through 10 games, the Red Sox are five and five. I think it's kind of been a stop and go team where, you know, they, they look like they have it together one day, you know, they don't the next day they've had trouble, you know, putting teams away and, and the offense has been slow early in games. What is your biggest takeaway from the first 10 games of 2022? Well, I would say that the bullpen has actually performed at least in most instances better than I would have anticipated. And that's without some contributions from some people they're going to need over the course of the season. They really have not put Matt Barnes any kind of high leverage uh, trusting situation yet. We know that it was not a great spring training for him. His velocity was down. He had to make an adjustment to his delivery. The velocity is climbing back to that 95, 96 area, but it's not really there yet. And I think core is handling him properly until he gets there. Um, I, I've been generally encouraged from what we've seen from both Strom and Diekman, the two lefties who have come in. Uh, we know that Whitlock is a lockdown guy and absolutely their best option in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. The only uh, issue there is how often can you use him if they're going to have him piggyback starts and deliver three or even four innings in relief. Is that the only time you're going to see him through each five turns of the rotation? If that's true, as you're using him as kind of a 5B starter, does that limit what you're getting out of him? Are you better off chopping up and getting two innings uh, each, say, three times over six days or four innings once every five days? I think that's all going to be figured out. Um, The rotation, for the most part, has kept them in games. There have been a couple of stinkers in there in the first 10 games, but uh, Waka has been encouraging in his two starts. Um, Hill is fighting himself a little bit, gave up a couple of two-run homers the other day. Um, I I suspect, you know, he's going to keep them in more games than he doesn't. Uh, And, of course, uh, Pavetta has been, as is sort of his uh, profile, um, unpredictable with Mm -hmm. the ability to be dominant at times, but also a guy that can be inefficient and be gone by the third or fourth inning because of pitch count. And I think in a lot of ways, when you know what you have in Evaldi, you know uh, that Hill's going to keep you in most games, that walk is trending in the right way. Um, I, I think Pavetta, in the early part of the season, at least until Sale comes back sometime in June, Pavetta may well be the key because he's now in an elevated spot in the rotation at number two, which I think is probably higher than he should be but for lack of other options that's where he sits if he can be 
if he can be better than he's shown, then I think the rotation's in pretty good shape. If if he struggles, then that's a big hole to have in that number two spot. Yeah, and, and you know, I think Hauk has pitched you know generally well. We'll get to him after, but um, what we've seen from Waka, I think, has been the biggest storyline of the rotation so far. You know, a guy that. I've said on here and in writing and on Twitter and everywhere else that I thought was an overpay at $7 million, like considering the, tr- the track record the last couple of years, the year he had in Tampa last year. But uh, they clearly you know, saw something they liked, worked with him in spring training. And um, as Alex Cora has now mentioned 80 times, he's a big, tall righty from the Cardinals organization, so you can't go wrong there. What have your thoughts been on the offense? Pretty um, disappointing, I would say, so far? Or- Certainly underperforming. A lot of guys that have not gotten it going uh, – Hernandez started the year 0 for 19, was blazing hot for about three days and has cooled again, um, seemingly almost not quite comfortable or fully adjusted in that leadoff spot despite spending half the year there last year. Um, I, I, I think maybe not as patient as they want. And look, we know that the leadoff job has evolved over the last five or six years. It isn't all about getting on base necessarily or working walks or driving up pitch counts or stealing bases. It's about being that dynamic force at the top of the lineup. And Hernandez has that ability, but it's come and gone this year. Uh, Devers has been terrific. Bogarts, despite uh, a cold stretch after opening day, seems to be back. He's had back-to-back multi-hit games. Uh, Martinez has not looked good, but he is a traditionally slow starter. So I think it's early to start worrying about him. Story, we know, did not have many at-bats in spring training. I think people have to be patient. Um, I would say that Bradley's at-bats have looked much better of late. The ability to not only uh, pull the ball, which we know he has, but to go the other way, even get a bunt base hit the other day. I thought that was encouraging. Um, so for the most part, very up and down. It seems like you, they're I think, either I think you forgot the MVP of the offense so far. And who's that? Verdugo. Yeah, uh, you're right. I'm sorry. And and he, uh, that's a guy that has been, um, you know, it was a little surprising to see him locked into that fifth spot in the order at the beginning of the year. And yet he has been their most productive hitter so far. Again, uh, both pulling the ball with a couple of long home runs to right field, but also using that wall. You know, he has said he wants to hit 40 doubles. Um, I think he has the ability to do that. Certainly in that lineup and that ballpark, he's going to see a lot of good pitches. Um, so, yeah, he's been um, the on certainly on the positive side in that lineup. But the, the, the offense in general has been inconsistent. It seems like you don't know whether they're going to score eight runs on a given day or be limited to one or two. And I, I suppose a, at least a little bit of that has to be expected early in the year when you've got – um, some weird start times. You've got a lot of day games. You've got cold weather. Short spring. Yeah. Uh, the, there's a lot of factors there that is not the, you know, that won't be present year long. So it's a little hard to get a read on it. I'd say in general, the history of the hitters in that lineup suggests that they're going to score runs and that's not something they should worry about. If it becomes an issue, that's one problem that they didn't anticipate having. Right, and I think at that point, you know, we've seen in the past Alex Cora is not a, not afraid to shuffle around the lineup, whether it's taking Ben Attendee out of the leadoff spot or move Devers around or whatever it may be. You know, Trevor Story, once he gets comfortable, we could see him leading off. 
Yeah, it's something that he did. Um, he, he didn't lead off a whole lot in Colorado, but he did hit second a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's a guy that has a decent on-base percentage in his career. We know that he's an excellent base runner and a capable base stealer. So that's one more factor that could be used at the top of the lineup. They want to keep Devers clearly in that number two spot and Bogart's behind him to get that right, left, right coming out of the shoot and a little bit of balance and story remains an alternative at the top if Hernandez doesn't get it going in the next week or two weeks. I want to see if you agree with me on this. Um, definitely something we've talked about in, in non, non-podcast formats in the press box, but does this roster feel as short to you as it feels to me? I mean, it just seems like from Travis Shaw, who I just, I, I think that that time has come and gone to, you know, a guy like Aruz, they like defensively. I guess he's fine in the role he's playing, but you know, Arroyo in the outfield, we've seen kind of ups and downs there to the bullpen. Does it feel like they're just, they're a little short on talent? Well, I don't think the depth is great, um, but I, I would also look at that lineup and say that you don't have to worry about depth for about seven spots. Yeah, um, you, you would want a right-handed hitting complement in right field so that Bradley doesn't get overexposed to lefties, and it remains to be seen whether Arroyo can be that guy. And I, I think you're going to get limited offense no matter who you have catching uh Ploiecki out now of course with COVID but Vasquez is not starting well offensively maybe you just have to chalk it up to not everybody is going to get production from all nine spots I think Arroyo is a value guy because he's a good enough athlete that he can at least contribute in the outfield how well he handles right field at Fenway remains to be seen I think that's going to be a challenge but if he stays healthy I think he's a valuable guy to have. I agree. I wouldn't be surprised if Shaw um, were to off roster in a matter of a few weeks here. Uh, the at-bats have not been competitive. Um, he's merely adequate at best at first base. Just seemed like they ran out of time to find their left-handed hitting option at first to balance a little bit with Dahlbeck. Uh, maybe that's Tristan Casas. Maybe Shaw can on until Casas is ready maybe in June but Shaw's uh, contributions or value here would seem to be minimal so yeah I, I think I mean it's also hard to judge what this roster is with 28 players when mm-hmm. we get to May 2nd and they cut down to 26 have to be a little more discriminating of who the position players are that may expose some of those guys and force them to make some moves and it may also give them time uh, at AAA for some other guys to show that they're ready to help out and contribute. Uh, there are a number of guys, even Franchi Cordero is a left-handed bat who has started well at AAA. He's never been able to make that transition to the big leagues and hit with any consistency up here, but maybe he gets a look if Shaw's time runs out. Yeah, that's a good name. And you know, they do have, you know, some some capable guys down there with, with big league experience. And we might see some of those guys in Toronto next week. That's what I want to end with. Unfortunately, COVID, uh, two years later, two plus years later, is still a story. It's still a story that's affecting the Red Sox, as we saw yesterday. We were in the clubhouse, and all of a sudden, Kevin Ploiecki got dressed in street clothes and left Fenway Park in a hurry, and it's because he tested positive for COVID. Are you surprised that this is still playing a role i mean it seemed like you know spring training we were back in the clubhouse everything was was 
kind of back to normal. And now we're, we're dealing with, you know, more positive tests and more uh, issues for the roster, things like that. Well, anecdotally, uh, I think we all know people in our personal lives who have contracted COVID in the last couple of weeks. Um, my son among them, thankfully he's okay, but you, you know, you see, um, you, you see it more in the, quote, real world. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised that it is also a factor, again, within baseball. We've seen uh, the Oakland A's get hit hard already with a number of players who have been put on the restricted list. And insofar as Ploiecki is concerned, I think it's naive to think that it's going to be limited to just one person. There's mm -hmm. a lot of uh, contact in that clubhouse. you got guys... Uh, close to one another in the dugout, in the bullpen, on buses, um, in the clubhouse. Uh, to think that it's going to be restricted to one player is, uh, despite the vast majority of players being vaccinated, um, you know, Ploiecki himself is vaccinated. Very much the 800-pound uh, the, uh, the, the gorilla that, that the rest of the sport has to worry about and be mindful of. Right, and, and hopefully for... The Red Sox sake and for the sake of those of us who have been in the clubhouse in the last few days, it turns out not to be Fingers anything crossed. serious at all. Right. Well, that's Sean McAdam. I'm Chris Cattello. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Fenway Rundown. We'll be ne back next week um, where the Red Sox will be in Toronto, or at least some of the Red Sox will be in Toronto, but that's a, that's a storyline for another day.